0: Hello, and welcome to the Battle Cry podcast with Mark Meckler. Catch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. Go to conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. Man, I'm excited to be here. Uh, It is Thanksgiving past weekend. It's also the first night of Hanukkah. That's pretty cool. And this is the Battle Cry, of course, and Mark Meckler. It's been a great week. I've had family in for most of the week, just dropped the kids off at the airport. Jake's on his way back to uh, Washington, D.C. Our friend Amanda is on her way back to her place at UC Berkeley. She's the president of the UC Berkeley College Republicans. You got to admire that and be thankful for that, right? So I hope you all had an incredible Thanksgiving. We had an incredible Thanksgiving here at the Meckler household. Mainly ate way, way, way too much food. I know, like, I say I'm not going to do that but uh, I do and then I always feel like I ate way too much and I gained a bunch of weight which I did so I was in the gym this afternoon so just thankful for the ability to get back in the gym being healthy enough to be in the gym and be in the fight and be with you guys tonight we've got a lot of stuff to cover uh the week's going crazy already even though it's only Sunday night and there's some stuff we should really talk about that I think is really important the country's going insane and you have to mock the madness out there you can't give in to the madness you can't just get angry about the madness. You can't get frustrated about the madness. The most potent political weapon that you have, that I have, that we have, is mockery. Really, people hate to be mocked. And the truth requires mockery of falsehood. Right. so when you make a mockery of falsehood, it cannot stand. So mockery is a powerful weapon. I know a lot of people don't like to use it to use sarcasm and satire and mockery. But I'm just telling you in politics, it's the most powerful weapon refuse to take their madness seriously. That's a good thing to do. And we take it seriously in the in the sense that we'll fight it with everything we've got, but verbally, don't take it seriously. Just just mock them. So here's what we're gonna start with though. We're gonna start with something that is deadly serious. and that's what happened in Waukesha this week. At the Christmas parade, we have a convicted felon, drove his car into the crowd, killed now six dead, I believe it is forty seven injured. This is some serious stuff. It's serious, of course, because it happened. It's serious because it happened at a Christmas parade. It's serious because it involved a lot of children. But there's stuff that you won't hear in the mainstream media that's driving me a little bit crazy, and we need to go after this. First of all, what the hell was this guy's motive? By the way, I'm not going to say his name. I don't say the names of mass murderers, crazy killers. It just elevates them. We're not going to do that here. Uh, This guy is basically scum of the earth, human garbage, so we're not going to elevate his name but we're gonna ask the question which is what motivated him. He lived an hour from Kenosha where we had the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. Was that what motivated him? He was clearly a racist scumbag. If you've seen any of his Facebook postings, he was absolutely a hardcore racist. He was also uh, in seemingly uh, you know, appropriate for tonight or something, right? On the first night of Hanukkah, he was a hardcore anti-Semite. I mean, this guy was just a bad dude, a felon. He should have been in jail. In fact, He had just recently been let out on bail again after jumping bail previously. Let out on bail for doing what? Well, let's see. How about trying to run somebody over with his car? All right, so what we have is we have a district attorney there, a guy by the name of John Chisholm. And I got to tell you, I'm intimately familiar with John Chisholm. Some of you, if you're familiar with the way back machine, and you can think way back to the John Doe investigations in Wisconsin. The John Doe investigations were politically targeted investigations going after anybody and everybody who was politically involved at a high level, Scott Walker, and helped Scott Walker to get elected to uh, enact Act 10, which disempowered the public employee unions and made Wisconsin a much healthier state. It was really good for the people of Wisconsin. But they used criminal prosecution to go after political actors, their enemies, uh, one of my very good friends, one of my closest friends in the world, board member, Eric O'Keefe, was one of the targets of that. Some other folks that we know intimately, good friends of ours, were targets of that. That was led by John Chisholm. And if John Chisholm sounds familiar right now, it's because he's the district attorney that set the policy of letting scumbags like this killer in Wau- Waukesha out on low or no bail. That's right. And he's famous for this, by the way, nationally. He's a national hero on the left. For saying that we should do this stuff. And now he's saying that this guy was let out, (coughs) excuse me, on inappropriately low bail. It's your policy, John. You're a scumbag. You're a thug. You use the political process to go after people that you don't like politically. And then you let scumbags like this out on the street to kill innocent people. And by the way, at the time that he enacted this policy, he said, Is somebody going to get killed because of this policy? Well, yes, I'm pretty sure that will happen. I mean, he literally openly said he knew somebody would die because he was going to let a bunch of scumbags out on the street with no low or no bail, and he didn't care. And now it's come home to roost. And now he says they're going to investigate why the bail was set so low. The bail was set so low because John Chisholm is a career scumbag district attorney, a corrupt scumbag district attorney in the pockets of the radical left who made this happen intentionally. And its I cannot believe that he is still district attorney after what he did to people in the John Doe investigation. By the way, the Supreme Court of Wisconsin said about the John Doe investigation, it was one of the greatest abuses of the Constitution that they had ever seen. There was no crime. It was used. It was pre-dawn raids. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Can we talk about maybe James O'Keefe recently? Pre-dawn raids on private people's homes, terrorizing them that's what John Chisholm did. And the FBI was involved in that one as well. So when you think Waukesha and you think of these innocent victims, there is one person to blame primarily, and that's the killer, the scumbag killer. And secondarily, you gotta blame John Chisholm who has a long history of letting people like this out of jail to prey on the local community. And a guy like this should not only be run out of town, but it's my opinion, John Chisholm should be stripped of his law license. the years, the decade plus that he's abused, process that he's abused the people of Wisconsin. It's time for that to end, and it's time for him to be stripped of his right to practice law, stripped of his position, thrown out unceremonious, unceremoniously on the streets. A guy like Chisholm, in my opinion, where he ought to be is he ought to be cleaning toilets at McDonald's, so that I could complain to the owner of the McDonald's that he's the worst clerk that I've ever seen in my life. Only then will justice have been done, and maybe he should be in jail, but. You know, these guys have complete and total prosecutorial immunity. Really hard to get these guys. We got to go after people like John Chisholm. They're disgusting. He's disgusting. All right, that's what's going on in Waukesha. Our prayers obviously go out to the victims, their families, and to the community at large. It's terrifying now for them to just gather in that community after what happened here. And that you can blame on the radical left 100%. All right, number two tonight. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit which is the insurgency of mockery this really is an insurgency i want you to look at what's going on in regard to joe biden right now we have the let's go brandon movement right where people are chanting let's go brandon they're wearing let's go brandon t-shirts i want to as a side note address something about the let's go brandon t-shirts and the let's go brandon slogan i had somebody uh this week complain about me wearing a let's go brandon t-shirt and that COS now, if you go to conventionofstates.com forward slash store, there is a COS Let's Go Brandon t-shirt on that store. And somebody complained, and I don't mind when people complain to me, by the way, if you have complaints, bring them on. I'm, I'm happy to hear them because I value your opinions. But the complaint was that Let's Go Brandon is sort of foul, right? And it's, uh, we shouldn't do it. It's below us to say, Let's Go Brandon. Uh, it means something else. And so therefore, we shouldn't be engaged in that kind of use of language. You know, I thought about it. I took it to heart. Here's what I'm going to say. I've traveled all over the country. I've recently been spoken at and been in a bunch of churches and ministries. And I can tell you inside the churches and ministries, and this person, by the way, made the complaint that as Christians, we shouldn't do stuff like this. Inside the churches and ministries, I had leadership of those churches and ministries all think that this is kind of funny. And I think it's really funny. And here's why I think it's funny, because we're not saying something fell because we're not swearing at people, because we're not using curse words. We're not doing what the left does, which is be foul and profane and disgusting. We're saying something completely innocuous as a double entendre. And that's humorous. And I think it's really humorous that the left has been relegated to being offended by Let's Go Brandon. I find it humor, I'm sorry, I find it funny. It's silly, It's and that kind of silliness, that kind of mockery is very powerful. The left is going crazy, they hate this. Let's remember that in the mainstream left, I mean the mainstream, I mean on television, I mean Al Pacino during the Tony Awards said F Trump. And I'm shortening it, he said the full thing, right? And a lot of people on the left said that. In public, in the media, it was a big deal. And now they're relegated to having to complain that somehow let's go Brandon is offensive to the office. Like Again, I find it ironic. Irony is lost on the left these days. I find it funny, so that is what it is. I, you know, to the person who commented and complained, I appreciate it, I took your comments seriously, considered them, prayed about them, talked to a lot of people about them. We're just gonna have to agree to disagree on this one. You don't have to say it, you don't have to use it. Uh, They were also worried that me wearing a Let's Go Brandon shirt was somehow partisan. It's not partisan, I just think that Joe Biden right now, as a president, is damaging the country. He's damaging us internally, inflation is out of control, Our healthcare system is a mess. What he's done with COVID is outrageous and unconstitutional. He's destroying our standing in the world. He's taking a knee before China, it's bad. And so I'm gonna say, let's go Brandon. (laughs) And I'm gonna call it the Brandon administration. And and I don't think that's partisan. I'm going after the person and what the person is doing. And if a Republican was doing this or a conservative was doing the same kind of stuff, if they were trying to take away your liberties, if they were driving inflation crazy, I would say something. By the way, I called out Trump for the spending during the Trump administration. I hated it. I thought it was outrageous. I thought it was bad for our country. So I'll call out left, right. I don't care who I call out. I'm going to call balls and strikes. So I don't think that's partisan. I think it's the exact opposite of partisan. This mockery, though, is really good. Another thing that's going on, you guys might have seen the stickers. They say, I did that, and they show Joe Biden pointing at something, right? I did that. And you can put them on gas pumps. And people are doing this all over the country. I'm seeing pictures of them all over the country. I've seen them here in Texas. I might even know somebody who's doing it here in Texas. I've seen them all over the place. I've got them. I give them out to my friends. You can put them on meat packages in the grocery store. You can put them on the tellers, like at the checkout, pointing at the, the total on your little pad there where you have to approve it. Joe Biden did that stuff. It's his economic policies, that kind of mockery of his sticker, his face, pointing at it, saying, I did that on stuff. That mockery is very valuable. And I'm hearing inside the administration, they hate it and they don't know what to do about it. One of the things about mockery is if you complain about it, if you say anything about it, it makes it even funnier to the people who are mocking you. So I would say keep it up. Go buy some I did that Joe Biden stickers. Mock the madness. Instead of just getting angry, mock it. Get those stickers. Put them on the gas pumps. Put them on the steaks. Put them on the milk milk section in the grocery store. Let people see. Joe Biden is doing this to them. He's at an all-time low in popularity. I think it's 36% was one of the last polls I saw by a reputable pollster. By the way, this would be considered historic lows if it were Donald Trump, but because it's Joe Biden, the media doesn't report it. So mock the media as well. Mockery again, mock the madness. That's what we have to do. We gotta mock the madness. It's part of how we keep our sanity as well. Mark Meckler is fighting every day to call the first ever article five convention of states to drain the swamp once and for all. Join Mark and millions of other Americans by signing the official petition at conventionofstates.com slash pod. And now back to the show. Let's talk about uh, the inevitable results of the wokiest criminal justice system we've ever had in American history. And by the way, there are some Republicans we have to blame for some of this too. Letting people out of jail who've committed violent crimes, which we're seeing this happen all over the country right now, it's not good. Because most violent criminals are gonna go back on the streets, recidivism rates are high and they're gonna commit violent crimes again. So we're letting them out to prey on the most vulnerable among us, right? I live in a pretty nice neighborhood. We don't worry that much about crime out here. I mean, and we're pretty heavily armed anyway. But if you're in the inner city where crime's already high and then they're letting the criminals back out on the streets, what's that going to do to your neighborhood? It's a mess, right? This is a real mess. The criminal justice system is a mess. And now what we're seeing See, in all these cities, in some cities, they've even made it so literally if you steal less than a thousand bucks, it's not a felony. So what do you think these folks are doing? They're going in and in some places they're stealing less than a thousand because they know nobody will come after them. All these companies have trained their employees, don't come after them. Probably good advice right now. This week, we saw a security guard who was sent with a camera crew that was covering these mobs doing smash and grab in San Francisco. Security guard was shot in the stomach and died. This is the inevitable result of leftist policies, wokest policies in America's big cities run by Democrats. You're not seeing this in Republican run cities. You're not, you can't name any where you're seeing this in Republican run cities because Republicans don't do this kind of stuff. Again, that's not a partisan thing. This is really important. I'm not saying that because like I want you to vote for Republicans. I'm not saying that I'm just saying the results, of voting for Democrats in cities like San Francisco and Boston and Philadelphia and New York City and all these giant cities, especially eastern seaboard cities, Seattle on the west, Portland in the west, the cops get defunded, the criminals get let on the streets, and the criminals are in charge. And then regular people pay the price. And mostly, it's poor people and poor people of color who pay the price. See, because wealthier people, they live out in the suburbs, it's safer, their police departments aren't getting defunded. If they do, they get private security. But in the inner city, they're left on their own. That's what Democrats and the radical left are doing to our cities. This is the result of the wokiest criminal justice policies you've ever seen. In every city that has them, it's an absolute disaster. And the question that you have to ask yourself is when will Democrats react to this? When will they quit voting Democrat? When will they quit aligning themselves with the radical left? How bad does it have to get in LA? I'm headed to LA this week, by the way. In Los Angeles, there's barbed wire around the freeway signs. Barbed wire. Because it's so bad there that people go up there and vandalize those things. Like if you live in a city where you have to have barbed wire around your street signs, mm, might be a bad sign. Yeah, that's, that's a bad sign. Like maybe we should stop doing what we're doing. When you live in a city where there's poop all over the streets and heroin needles, maybe we should stop what we're doing. But see, that's going to be up to the people. If they keep voting Democrat, then they're going to keep reaffirming these policies, and they're going to keep getting these policies, and it's going to keep getting worse. So the key is, if you're a Democrat, you live in Seattle, San Francisco, or Portland, or Boston, or Philadelphia, or New York, or wherever, stop, stop it. Stop supporting people who support these woke policies. They're destroying your life. and you're letting them do it. You're buying into it. Don't do it. Just try something different because what you're doing is clearly not working. That's the result of the wokest policies. I don't want to talk a little bit about Hanukkah. Tonight is the first night of Hanukkah. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a Jewish Christian, so both sides of my family Jewish from Ukraine. I became a Christian about nine years ago, and a half years ago. So I'm a Jewish Christian. So we actually light the menorah. We celebrate Hanukkah. And I've really dug in over the last eight or nine years into what does Hanukkah really mean? When I was a kid, I didn't really know. I mean, I knew a little bit about the story of Hanukkah. There was some kind of rebellion and the Maccabees fought. And then there was a lamp and there was only enough oil for one night and it stayed lit for eight nights. And that was the whole story of Hanukkah. But the story of Hanukkah is actually important. Now, one thing to be really clear about, the idea of Hanukkah as a major Jewish holiday is mostly an invention, a modern-day American invention, I would say mostly of Reformed Jews and, and frankly, people who are just (laughs) anti-Christian. And the point was, just to put it in the face of Christians, we got to celebrate a Jewish holiday at the same time. The reality is it's not one of the high holidays. It's not like Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur or the other high holidays for Jews. It's more of a minor holiday. It is a holiday, no doubt, but a minor holiday in the Orthodox Jewish faith. But it's a holiday that celebrates the uprising of the Maccabees against the Seleucids. And so there were people that were dominating the culture and were trying to drive the Jewish culture out, Jewish cultural genocide, essentially. And they had a bunch of the Jews bought in, and the Jews would kind of go along with the culture of the times. Right. And, and they would worship the house gods or whatever the gods were that these people wanted them to worship. And they were giving up on their own faith. And there was a town where the Maccabees were, where they were asked, some of the Jews were asked to come out and celebrate the more pagan festivals. Right. And to deny their own faith, essentially. And somebody, one of these people who had gone woke, I would argue this is the ancient day version of wokeism, they've gone woke, they're going along with the culture, they're not living their traditions, they're not living their heritage, they're not living their faith, they're not living the things that made their society great. They've gone woke of, in the times. And they stood up and they were willing to do these things and denigrate their own faith. Essentially, you know, the public shaming that's required by the left now. Only in that moment, one of the Maccabees killed that person and then killed the governor of that place. And then the fight was on, right? And ultimately the Maccabees rose up and led the fight to retake the temple in Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple that had been defiled and to light the lamp. And the rule was the ceremonial lamp was supposed to burn continuously, right? But once they took the temple, they only had enough oil for one day. And it took time to process the oil according to the ancient tradition. So you would get the right kind of purity for the right kind of oil to light these lamps. These are ceremonial lamps. They're supposed to be, remain lit 24-7, 365 in the temple. They ended up for one day, and it lasted eight days, long enough for them to make more oil. So that's the basic story of the Maccabees. And when you really break it down, the story of the Maccabees is a story of a fight against wokeism, a fight against modern-day culture trying to impose its values on what we know is a traditional culture that is better for human beings. That's the That's the story to me. That's the... The lesson of Hanukkah is you have to stand up for the things that you know are right. You have to be willing to go into the fight. You have to be willing to stand against the odds because you know these things are right and true and good, and they lead to a right and true and good society. That's what the story of Hanukkah is about, and it's a story for all people. It's not just a story for the Jews. It's a story for Jews and Christians And everybody else, because it has universal applicability, as do so many things from the Bible, Old Testament, and New. And this is about standing up in the face of evil, standing up in the face of wokeism, standing up in the face of a modern culture that's trying to tell you and I what to do, what to believe, how to behave all the time if we want to quote unquote fit in. Well, I'll be honest with you, I don't want to fit in. I'm part of a culture that I think, in my opinion, is superior to this insane woke madness, right? So stand against the madness, speak against the madness. That's the lesson of Hanukkah. Be willing to do what it takes. All right, I'm gonna go to some Q and A here. I didn't do Q and A last week, so I gotta make sure I hit all of it this week. I apologize. Last week, I was so, for Thanksgiving, I didn't get to the Q and A. All right, so uh, first question is from Ed Mace. Let's get to this Convention of States. What are we waiting on? You know, there's something really incredible going on right now. You gotta know about Convention of States. To me, this is the most exciting thing I've thought of in a long time recently brought Rick Santorum on as a senior advisor. And he was looking at convention of states and he said, the runway is almost done. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, it's like, you guys don't even notice how far along you are. It's incredible. 5 million people, almost 2 million people on Facebook. And here's the big one. It takes 30, 34 states to call a convention, right? 34 states to call a convention, two thirds of states, 30. One states now have both houses controlled by Republicans who are more likely to call a convention than Democrats. 31 states, so three to go. Virginia just flipped its House of Delegates to Republican. I believe that Senate will flip in 23. And there's a couple more states that are right on the way. I think easily Nevada could flip. It's flipped back and forth over the last couple of cycles, Dem to R to Dem. I think it can flip again. I think New Hampshire could flip. I'm sorry, Maine could flip. We have opportunities to flip legislatures. So I think we're really, really, really close to 34. By the way, Minnesota, one House Republican, one House Democrat. So I think there is a lot of opportunity here. The runway is almost built to 34. If We get to 34. And I know a lot of you are involved in that. We're going to run the tables because all of these legislatures are just going to do it all at once because they're gonna see the pathway to convention. They're gonna see it not as something esoteric and far-fetched, but as something that is here and ready to go. All right, Peter Kane says, Mark, can you help with state and federal candidates that support term limits and a balanced budget amendment? Uh, Here's the bottom bottom line, Peter, is that we can to the extent of the law. So we're a 501 C3 and a 501 C4. C3 really no involvement in elections whatsoever. We can do get out the vote. C4 can do a little bit more. So we do what we can To the extent of the law you however as an activist as an individual can do whatever you want and we recommend that you get heavily involved in the elections in your local area uh tony bilbao says have all the states been contacted about backing the cos agenda absolutely tony and in fact 49 states have filed the cos application to date last one is connecticut i think we're going to get that done in uh 2022 we're going to get that filed there so all of them have been contacted we're working in all 50 states Let's see. Uh, this one says, Oroville, California, recently passed a resolution to establish itself as a constitutional republic. If more communities do this, can it have an impact on the legislative on the legislature? And the answer is, look, I don't think it has an impact in any legal sense. Like, as a state, uh, sorry, a county or a city can't, make themselves a constitutional republic that would require the permission of the state for them to divide off and, and then the permission of congress for them to be another state but it's the right narrative and i totally support them doing it i think we should get as many to do as we can because it shows that the narrative is rising against this madness that's from kim hogan by the way one of our great activists out there in california uh sharon Carell asked any news from wisconsin yeah sharon unfortunately it looks like We're probably dead for the year in Wisconsin. So hopefully early next year, we'll uh, revamp this and get it going again. All right. uh, I think that's all the questions we have. Producer G. Oh, wait. No, we've got another one. Alex Gallimore asks, is the country too far gone? My answer, Alex, is maybe. I don't know. I I don't know whether the country's too far gone or not. What I do know is that I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight today. I'm going to fight tomorrow. I'm going to fight every single day. I'm going to fight as long as I've got for as long as God leaves breath in these lungs. I will stop fighting when that first shovel full of dirt hits the top of the box in the hole, right? That's when I will quit. Until then, I'm going to fight. Why am I going to fight? Because that's what God expects of me. God expects us to be in the fight for what's righteous, to put on the full armor of God, to go out there and fight for what's righteous and good. The rule isn't go fight if you think you could win. Go fight if you think it's not too late. The rule is go fight. John Quincy Adams said, duty is ours. The results belong to God. So my duty is to be in the fight. Uh, Bill Scott says, buy, sell, or hold. Hillary is being set up to become president. Yeah, I don't think so, Bill. I think she's too unpopular. I don't think that's what they're shooting for. I think they'd like to elevate somebody who has better public popularity than Hillary. That would be just a really bad move. So I would say I would sell that one. Ryan DeCosta says, is Massachusetts involved in COS? Yep, fantastic team there, Ryan, in Massachusetts. In fact, I got to tell you, they're the ones who turned me on to the monument to the forefathers. Really incredible monument there in uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts. In fact, I have a huge model of it right here next to my desk. So great team there. Get plugged into the team in Massachusetts. Uh, Michael Arnold, the rest of the team there, really great folks. All right, guys, uh, that's it for tonight for the battle cry. I just want to remind you, right? Right to stand up against the woke, the, the woke madness. What you want to do is you want to mock it. You want to make fun of it. You want to abuse it. You want to attack it. <coughs> Excuse me. Part of the way you do that is you wear your gear. We have a new shirt that says, uh, uh, says, let's go Brandon on it. We have another one coming that says faith over freedom. We have another one coming that says no mask, no fear. Go to convention forward slash store. By the way, we're still in the midst of our black Friday sale. You still have a chance to get 25% off. All your gear. That ends, I believe, tonight at midnight. So the holidays are here. Get your Hell No Joe. Get your limited edition Christmas ornament. I got mine already here on the desk. Get your Hell No Joe stickers. Get your Let's Go Brandon shirt. Get them all. It's the holidays. Fill up your gift baskets. It's conventional estates. God bless you guys. Love you. We will see you next Sunday night for the battle cry. This has been the podcast version of The Battle Cry with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com pod and become part of the solution that's as big as the problem. Thank you for listening.